Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed Episode 248 is recorded live July 2nd, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from the west side of the great state of Michigan where we are having summer with a little bit of cool weather. And I've heard a rumor that we still have shipwrecks in Lake Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm very well, thank you. Enjoying the summer weather. Yes. How about this? It is. What was the temperature today? It felt cold. I thought it was like 70-something, low 70s. I know. You don't want to complain about 70, but boy, it's... Well, I won't. Yeah, As my dad would say, this is good working weather, but I, I'd like a little bit more summer, or some summer. As, as a side note, do you realize that Anchorage, Alaska, at 80 degrees temperature in May? They had 80 degrees in May in Anchorage? Oh, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, they're there off the coast. Yeah, but it's it's very, very unusual. It's the warmest it's been in decades. And if you went all the way up towards the, the northern end, they also had exceedingly hot weather. And I heard they've had forest fires up to almost, I keep thinking they said 3 million acres, but that's a hell of a lot of land. That is a lot of land, but they got a lot of land too. Yes. 3, but, million, uh, 3 million acres. I'm trying to picture that. It's a, it's a pretty good size. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not not quite state sized, but you know, good large county plus size, at least here in the US. Well, just waiting for the smoke to come our way. It could. It could happen. Oh yeah. Very easily. Well let's uh jump right on into the news. First one up is we have a recall. I didn't cue these up intentionally. I keep trying. Uh, the baby floats and scuba mask, huh? Yeah, the baby floats I'm not so much worried about. I mean, which I guess is a bad thing to say. So I guess if you have a baby float, it's the, uh, God, what is that? Orteru baby float. A drowning risk has prompted a recall of about 3,000 of the baby floats that have been sold online. The recall involves a round inflatable Otero, Arturu? Oh, Otteru? That must Otteru, be it. yeah. I think that's it. We, we, we figured it out. Otteru. Otteru baby floats. Otteru has received 54 reports, reports at broken seams on the product, which can cause the float to leak air, deflate, and pose a drowning risk. Who is who is leaving their child unsupervised in a baby float? Not to mention, if you look at the picture, the kid's head stuck in the float. I don't understand that part. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, so if it did work, he suspended his whole body with his neck. <laughs> his neck. Well, that's a baby. That's what it looks like. You can always make another baby. I mean, come on. I don't know why that seems crazy. Yeah, because you got the handholds outside, so you pick up the handholds, you're picking them up by the <laughs> that doesn't look natural. I'm thinking that just that's just how they did I think the baby popped his head up through the middle of it. I can't believe that's how they how they use it. But a baby like that age would not be capable of grasping those handles. No. 
Well, that's for the mom to carry. I got to be more through that. Yeah. that we're not seeing. But the the reason they're recalling it is is not because it kills babies. It's because of the uh, the seam leaking. And we have Technosport um, Umber Sub Scuba Mask. They're recalling about 2,600 Amr Sub Zero Cube Scuba Diving Masks because the lens can shatter during normal use. Non-conforming glass was used for the lens. Twelve incidents are reported to the firm which has which the lens has shattered. No injuries have been reported. The masks were sold at Technosport and local dive equipment retailers as well as online at Amazon and AmrDiving.com from April 2012 through last month in June. You are directed to stop using the mask and contact Technosport for a replacement. When they say normal use, that that's kind of scary, isn't it? I thought they were all tempered. Well, and looking at that, they, they're supposed to be tempered. Anything glass, especially near your eye, should be tempered. That does not look like a temper break, though, does it? No, I, I was I just put up on looking for that real quick, and I'm looking at the you know about it, and it's quite interesting. It's for free diving mask which works well for scuba, low volume, two window. Ah, okay. Well, that explains. Yeah, and says, does not need to be equalized until 60 feet. Now, I don't understand that at all. Very low volume, wide field division, textured silicon surface, and it says nothing about tempered glass. Yeah. Well, the the reason why, if you're a free diver, you don't want to use air until the last. Yeah, so you're on a low volume mass, so you have less squeeze. And at 60 feet, the pressure's enough. And that's what I was wondering. In normal use in a dive mask, we rarely have a pressure differential of any significant amount. Yeah. So it would have to be very brittle and fragile for them to break in normal scuba diving. But if you're doing a free dive down to 60 feet, that's a good amount of pressure. You're, you've got a, you got potentially a two-atmosphere difference. Now, assuming the mass sits down, maybe it's not a full two-atmosphere, maybe just one. But that, that would be a heck of a squeeze, though. Well, not to mention, they say the lenses on the mask are small. They are placed so close to the diver's eye that the field of vision is nearly unrestricted. And then to have a shattering glass, oh. I'm, I'm reading that, and it's like I'm, my back is sort of giving me that little Yeah, heebie-jeebie. you get the little heebie-jeebies there. Yeah. You did just, yeah. But it, it's interesting about that, and I'm still looking through it to see why there's and people seem to like it. But, again, I think the key is I don't see it for scuba. It no. looks like free diving. Yeah, I think free divers, it's, it would be something that they would, would like. The low volume. Yes, yeah, a low volume. Because I've seen people also use the, uh, the regular swimming goggles, but you, can't, you have no way of equalizing those. Right. Well, I didn't realize Technosport was out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, I didn't either. Virginia Beach. No, I just Yeah, Virginia Beach. Well, and here's a fo- – go ahead. I was just saying here. They were talking about the two-class lenses, O-M-E-R. I don't know what that stands for. I don't either. But that's the the ones that they were talking about had some issues. Oh, and they sell for eighty bucks. Well, pretty reasonable about what you'd expect. Yeah, you know, a good diving mask probably starts at eighty and goes up from there. Yeah, it's not hard to be one hundred fifty to two hundred in a mask sometimes, especially if you get the lenses. Oh yeah, I I I'm, so far I've been able to do the contacts and that's worked out pretty well for me. And then I'm nearsighted, so even if I forget my contacts, I can. Usually do pretty good, especially in the low vis days. I don't you have to worry about it. Yep. Now, if I was in you know in North Carolina or something, you might want to see it to dodge them sharks. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a follow up to an article we had about the scuba diving in the Apple Cooler. Andrew Stockter, fifty seven, 
has been jailed for two and a half years for the manslaughter of Scott Kane and Ashley Clark. The manager of the fruit storage unit in Hampshire had been sentenced for the manslaughter of two workers who died while entering the oxygen-deprived storage unit to collect apples for a fruit competition. He went to court last month over the deaths of the two employees, and he was jailed. uh, This is yesterday, I think, is when he got jailed. Jury found him guilty of causing the deaths by ignoring health and safety regulations through encouragement of staff to do a dangerous practice called scuba diving. When they say scuba diving, that's not in water. That was holding their breath and going into a low oxygen unit, which had less than 1% oxygen. So not the type of scuba diving I recommend. Uh, no. And this one is kind of a, a slight, what the heck? Why is, oh, I, I you got to type in the whole URL. High so, tech. Huh? Yeah, high tech. Crews use drones to rescue two boys stranded in a river. Two young uh, people were rescued from the river in Maine after they became stranded in swift water. The crews used drones in their effort to save them. The two boys were using inner tubes on a little Androscoggin River on Tuesday when they became stranded on the rock. One of the boys had a life jacket, but the other one did not. So rescuers used the drone to get the life jacket out to the boy who didn't have one. The water was so rough that it took rescuers quite a while to work their way to the boys. Fire department officials told the local TV station that the rescue went smoothly. Boys were brought back to the uh, bank safely. So I think that's what we're going to start seeing the drone used more and more. Especially some of those that are designed for that. Now this one, uh, and I read another article, and it's not in this this particular one, but they, they were just out taking photos at the time. It was a, it was a I think it was a department drone when the, the call went out, so they had the drone available to them. Did you look at the video for this? I didn't watch the video. Is it good? It's freaking amazing. I'm. I don't know why those kids are not dead. It. You're. You're talking. I don't know what class five would be mm-hmm. for rapids, but it sure looks that way. And yes. uh, it's like inner tubes without a life jacket. I just do not understand that. Just looking at that, there's no way in hell. If you haven't looked at it, you need to look at that video. It's quite interesting. That river rescue book that uh, we've been circulating in the, in the uh, club. You yep. can see a lot of the what they talked about in it how they stretch their lines out across, how they're positioning the craft, right in the book. But even with all that gear, these guys are getting beat to hell. And they've got Gumby suits that look like helmets on, uh, rafts that are really unique, open bottom. And they just went over, got the one guy off. And that thing just, it's its amazing. Good video. I'll have to take a look at that after the show. I'll, I'll watch the video. Well, at least the kids had smarts enough that once they realized they were screwed up, they got on that one big rock that doesn't have water cascading over it. And, you know, they were in a position as opposed to trying to tough it through. Yeah, you don't. And I don't think they say how old the boys were. Can you tell from they, the video? They Well, one's a sh- smaller kid than the other one. One's bigger. But I, I really can't tell. But if they said they used a drone to give a, a vest to one of the kids, I don't see that. Unless that kid is wearing that, that blue thing on his back happens to be a vest. But it's a good video, and it, it, it would emphasize, I think, why even on calm water, wear a life vest when you're doing kayaking or tubing. Oh, anytime you're in a, a vessel of any sort, even tubing, you should have a life vest on. Well, you, it's easy to hit your head, and that's really what the primary purpose is, is to keep your head out of the water so if you pass out, you don't drown. Yes, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's obvious they had a really good rescue team because I'm looking at the, the people on the side. Everybody is dressed appropriately. They have uh, safety vests, safety harnesses on, lots of lines. Uh, nice. They must have a heck of a nice response time on that, too. 
looks nice. Well, it's good that they were able to get out there. Absolutely. I wonder I wonder what the lift capacity was of that drone to be able to lift a life vest. Or or I wonder if maybe it might have been one of those where they, they auto-fill, like the, the self-inflating. That's what I would think, and that may be what that kid had on. Yeah, so you would you would put one of those on because uh, it would be light because you've, you've usually got, got a little CO2 cartridge, and then it's like a – yeah, you know, no plastic bulk. tube, no bulk, yeah. less yeah. than 10 pounds, which I think a lot of the uh, drones now are, uh, these quadcopters are capable of doing about 8 to 10. Uh-huh. Well, I'm really curious about you talking about this next one here. Let's see, did I already get to it? I'm just reading the one part about peeing on a jellyfish wound. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, that should pique somebody's curiosity. Yeah, this one's out of Cape May Courthouse in Florida. They said peeing on the jellyfish Sting is just plain wrong, no matter what TV and the internet pundits say. This, according to an official doctor, Stephen Marcus, medical director for the state's Poison Control Center, said it's not only is this an urban legend untrue, it could make it worse for both the injury caused by jellyfish, it's much nastier cousin the Portuguese man of war. We don't want people making these things worse. Several Portuguese man of wars have washed up in South Jersey. Why did I say Florida? Beaches in the last few weeks, including Ocean City, Seal City and Stone Harbor scientists with the State Department of Environmental Protection and its rare occurrence that they haven't seen in about 10 years. We haven't seen any since last Sunday. The wind conditions have been just right to blow these animals towards shore. Buchanan said the stings, that strong stings, strong winds likely push the creatures out of the Gulf Stream 100 to 200 miles offshore. The wind conditions have to be just right and they have to be in the Gulf Stream. Uh, Joseph Blinkley, a DEP research scientist, said the man of war is not a free-swimming animal. They don't want to be on shore. They're open ocean creatures at the mercy of the wind and currents. This week, however, Mark Marcus asked local media to warn county residents about the dangers of the creature, also known as a floating terror or, bo- or blue bottle. According to Dr. TV shows, especially comedies, have perpetuated the uh, rumor that the urine ease a jellyfish sting and that the legend has gained a foothold on the internet. Sometimes television just makes things a lot worse, Marcus said, so the worldwide reach of the internet and since the Portuguese man of war is not even a true jellyfish, the tales about home remedies of the sting or floating terror are downright dangerous. Everybody calls Portuguese man of war jellyfish. They're not jellyfish. They're not even one creature. The man of war is a colony of animals working together to survive. They become found Floating in the warm waters around the world, doctor says they often occur in larger numbers at the same time, raising the risk of exposure for the swimmer and the beachgoer alike. Well, what kind of doctor is this who doesn't tell you what does work? I'm sure he might later, but... Uh, yeah, you said give I him thought, $300. I, I thought whatever I, I heard on the internet was true, though. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked. <laughs> shocked? Dismayed? Yeah. But oh. now that you say that, looking at the rest of it, oh, oh it they does say, start to tell okay, you Okay, it says, do not use fresh water, vinegar, or urine since the efforts have been shown not only to not help and can potentially make things worse. Once the area is washed, use a stick to peel away the tentacles of the man of war. Do not touch the tentacles with your bare skin. The doctor also warns folks to the pre-programmed poison control number into their self. Oh, so another bad sentence. Program your phone with a poison control Centers numbers, and they'll tell you what to do. They said if someone is unconscious, not breathing, seizing, or convulsing, call 911 immediately. No, that's, that's okay. You know, we're going to have to look that up, find out what the the actual treatment is. Because uh, they, they, they talk about jellyfish sting? Well, the thing is, is it, the, this is man of war, so are they saying it doesn't help because it's a man of war? 
Or are they saying it doesn't even work for jellyfish? I'm looking that up right this second. Let's see what it says. Jellyfish sting. First thing I get is urban legend saying nothing because it says, I'm going to wait for a minute because you really want to see me now. <laughs> I have the Darren syndrome going on right oh, now. So it, it's, it's harassing you. Oh, it's just standing there going around and around and ignoring me. Little, little spinner. It's well, like, we well, got to load all those ads that you don't want to see. That's what we call the podcast, the talk about bad ad, internet ads. Oh, good. Okay. What is it here? Okay. Look, but don't touch. All right. If you're stung, the NHS warns against urinating on the affected part. All right. This will not help and make things work possibly. Also, vinegar is a big no-no. Instead, apply shaving cream to the sting. Shaving this cream. This will help prevent toxins from spreading. Then take some parafomatol or ibuprofen, basically ibuprofen to help ease the pain, reduce the swelling. Use a credit card or shell to remove any nemocysts that are stuck to the skin. Use tweezers or a clean stick to remove anything and remove remaining tentacles. An ice pack will also help with the inflammation. If you have difficulty breathing, chest pain, stung on the face or in the private places, uh, you might want to contact a, a different, they, they say dial 999. I don't know what that is. I'm not familiar with 999. I think that's called a, a typo. Yes. Or, or could I, it be some, maybe some, uh, some jurisdictions might have a number for poison control? Yeah, possibly. But I've never heard of shaving cream. I can tell you that one. No, I haven't. NHS. What is NHS, by the way? I'm trying to look up what NHS is. <laughs> I think it's National Health something. Yeah, this is, we're, we're running down the rat's hole now. There is a sideman here about rules of nudist speed, which we won't go there. That's <laughs> a more moment. interesting. Well, so you said rules of nudist speech? Yeah. Now, on a nudist speech, does a BC count as clothing? Only if you're a female. <laughs> I, uh, I guess, yeah. I, I guess, yeah. Assuming that you're at a beach that allows nude nudity. <laughs> You know what some of the symptoms of getting hit by a Portuguese man of war is? Gooey stuff on your face? Abdominal pain, changes in pulse, chest pain, collapse, headache, muscle pain, muscle spasms, numbness, weakness, pain in arms or legs, raised red spot where stung, runny nose, watery eyes, swallowing difficulties, sweating, or all the above. But it said they are rarely deadly. They just make you wish you were dead. Oh, <laughs> yow. That doesn't sound like a... Anything a that makes you wish you were dead is does not sound like a good day. No, no. And on this one even, they do not say anything else about what do you do if you do get stung. Now... So how often do you carry shaving cream with you? Not very often at the beach. If I'm traveling, I may have some. And I'm going to bet most dive boats aren't equipped with shaving cream. I know. It. I guess maybe the really fancy or kinky dive boats maybe, but not the normal ones. I've always been, one of the items that we used to use for weird things like that is take um, meat tenderizer, like Adolph's meat tenderizer, mm -hmm. mix it with a little water, make a paste and put that on because the meat tenderizer had chemicals in it that helped neutralize toxins. At least that's what I was understanding. Have you ever heard that one? I've heard of it, but I was never quite sure what it's for. Well, according to this one here about the guys who are actually doing jellyfish stuff, Kodak fishermen, uh, to take care of jellyfish sting immediately to minimize its impact, wash the area, then apply a soothing agent. Some people use canned milk. And this one is right down where they said don't do. Employ vinegar or cool urine. 
They said don't. So it, it, right. So it's very obvious. No, they say to do it. So it's very obvious that every place you look has different treatments. I think some of it might be you want to get it off as quick as possible, and anything liquid that doesn't make it worse gets would help. That's what it looks like. Yeah. So some I, of those. It's interesting now that you talk about that, though. Well, I, well, I think I think the, the comedy aspect of it was just it was a good joke, but it was based on you know urban legends. Well, this one here he says rinse with vinegar and a mixture of baking soda and seawater for twenty minutes. Apply a cold compress. Use calamine lotion. Mild hydrocortisone. Hello, I'm Dr. Manny, and I'm here to... So, interesting. Well, we have a charity appeal for female scuba divers. A group of Jersey scuba divers are going to attempt a world record this month that raises money towards breast cancer charities. Dozens of divers are planning on taking part. Many have been affected by breast cancer, either directly or indirectly. They're hoping to break the record for having the largest amount of women scuba divers together at the same time, where there's currently no record for this title. Jersey Sea Search, a local charity that undertakes volunteer surveys of the seabed and Bowley Bay Dive Center, have teamed up to organize an event. They're appealing for more women to come forward and take part. It'll take place the Saturday, the 18th of July. Women will meet at 6 p.m. for a briefing at 7.15 and enter the water at 7.30. They'll follow an underwater course in pairs at a depth of 5 meters for at least 20 minutes. So if you want to take part, please make sure you have done some diving recently in the past year. Search Facebook for the event, uh, Bowley, B-O-U-L-E-Y, Bay Ladies Dive. Now, I'm not going to ask you where this is. Where what is? Where this event they, is happening. Did they say this East, is it East Coast? I thought it was. Jersey it says, yeah, it does say it says Jersey Sea, sea Search website. Yeah, I'm gonna, the reason I say I'm curious is because they talk about I'm looking at the pledge of minimum amount up. That's not dollars. Oh, it's, you're right. Uh, they got us. It's UK. Jersey. The, there's a Jersey. And, see, we've got the new Jersey. They got the old Jersey. Yeah. I don't know what the new. Uh, they tick off some people. I, I don't know. Is the new Jersey that much better than the old Jersey? <laughs> there's a debate. You get people going. It also gets to that one item we talked about before collectively is how often do you have to dive to be considered an active diver and if they're saying have dived recently within a year i don't care i don't think diving once a year is is really uh maintaining currency yeah i think they did that kind of as a minimum meaning if you haven't done some diving because if you dove in the last year then you're most likely either felt like hey it went real well or you realize how rough it is and you made time to go do some more dives yeah if you've dove four years ago and thought, well, I'm certified. I can do this again. And you show up that day, they don't need to be stopping the event to pull you out of the water. Now, take a look at the weeds. That's quite interesting there. Yeah, it's a I'm nice. Sure. Is that really weeds or is that like a seabed stuff? Like It seemed kelp. like a, I don't know. Do they have kelp there? They well, that's like... not kelp when I'm looking at, but it looks like some type of seagrass. Yeah. And pictures are pretty good. That scallop is pretty nice, pretty good size too. Yeah, it's hard to tell, you know, if somebody was doing a macro shot or you know, scale without something in it. Yeah, I, I just assume that's one of those three foot ones. It's really huge looking. <laughs> but looking at the gravel to the side, you're probably right. A macro shot. And then here in Greenville, North Carolina, which I'm sure <laughs> that's in the U.S., Blue Region Scuba of Greenville is set to host a Wounded Warrior Retreat in September. The program focuses on veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder with treating treatments through diving. 
Former military members will make their way to the east and learn how to dive. Blue Region scuba owner Larry Cox said he's excited to be involved with the project. Helping somebody overcome something is just worth everybody's time, says Cox. To do that, it's going to be a lot of personal satisfaction, helping these people and watching them relax and enjoy the underwater world. And I think this goes with what we talked about last week when they were also a different group was working with the Wounded Warrior Program or Wounded Veterans. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. I Now, what do you think, how does it help? Is it just a distraction? Because um, we had Dive Hard on, and he was talking about there were certain injuries that it helped. But for post-traumatic stress disorder, what what is it? Is it a calming effect? I would think it would be the calming effect and also the reinforcement that I can do something I haven't maybe done before, and I can I can I can uh, manage it even with a disability. I generally I think it's quiet, which would not you know sort of peaceful. Yeah, and it's a distraction. Yeah, you know, it, it if you're just sitting around waiting for something to happen, it gets you out and you're doing something. Well, and you're focusing on your breathing. You're focusing on following, especially if you're just newbie. You're a newbie. You're you're playing follow the leader. Your mind is focused on a different task. So distraction from that aspect is probably correct. And just like us, what's half the fun is going and sitting, having lunch or something afterwards, and talking about what we did. Oh, you we bet. We get as much enjoyment out of that. And let's see. A second shipwreck has been confirmed from the 13th century Mongolia invasion. Matsura, Nagasaki Prefecture, a shipwreck was found here as a second confirmed vessel from the 13th century Mongolian fleet that foundered in Typhoon in a failed attempt to invade Japan, researchers said July 2nd. Archaeologists from the University of Rikurias and Mashura City uh, Board of Education determined the wreck was part of a Mongolian invasion fleet partly based on its structure. Chinese ceramic was dated from the 12th to 13th century, were discovered in and around the wreck, back, backing up their conclusion, they said. Their search team, which is surveying around uh, Takashima Kazaki underwater archaeological site, discovered the shipwreck last autumn around 200 meters off the southern coast and 15 meters below the surface. So 15 meters, that's not too bad. Not 45 feet. Yeah, the remains of the shipwreck measure 12 meters long, a maximum of 3 meters wide. The wreck is lying on a seabed, apparently with its bow pointing southward. We have successfully confirmed that the two ships from the Mongolian invasion and further research of them is expected to lead to discovery of even more sunken Mongolian ships. The first confirmed Mongolian shipwreck was discovered in 2011, around 1.7 kilometers west of the wreck found last year. Numerous artifacts have been found in the seafloor from wrecks of the fleet dispatched in the second Mongolian attempt to invade Japan in 1281. The two invasion attempts from 1274 and 1281 ended in vain as both fleets were destroyed by typhoons. It shows you how good a little bit of weather prediction can be for naval conflict. Oh, big time. The pictures are quite interesting, but, you know, if you didn't really know what you're looking at, you would see that and you'd have no clue. That's what that was, a 13th century ship. You'd think it's just a wooden rack. Well, and then there, how many meters was it wide? Like two? Uh, I said six to something wide. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, six to seven meters wide. So that was a pretty decent boat then. Yeah, because there's two reports on it. I'm just looking at a separate one. It talked about remains of the ship measure 12 meters long and a maximum of three meters wide. Yeah, see, that's what I was remembering, three meters. So right. that's, you know, about nine, ten feet. <clears throat> Right, and then it said this, the latest ship is estimated to be 20 meters bow to stern and 67 meters wide, slightly larger than the first ship. Okay, 
And like you said, 20 artifacts were found, and that would be the only clue you'd have is the age, I think, is from that. Yeah, the artifacts that help age it. Yeah. There's a lot you can do with the pottery. Well, that picture of the white porcelain bowl would be, you know, you'd, you'd catch that before you'd look at the wood and do anything. Well, but that's what you call an old rack. That, Over that, here, 300 years is an old. Over there, it's thousands. Yeah, well, you look at that age, you know, that, that makes the griffin look like a newbie. And it is. What, what, uh, last week, we talked about another rack that was several hundred years old, remember? Yeah. And now we're talking one twice as old as that one last week. Well, here's one. We know it's not going to be quite that old, but uh, Michigan Tech University finds a shipwreck with side scan sonar. This is out of Houghton. A crew of the Polar wasn't expecting anything out of the ordinary when they hit water and began gearing up for the day's work survey. They were looking at the in Eurasian milfoil. Yep. The MTU Marine Operations Specialist Colin Terrell noticed that unusual shape on the fish finder. Now, how much enhancement do you think that is, Mac? I mean, that's one of those that anybody could see that as a shipwreck. It almost looks fake, doesn't it? Well, that looks more like a barge. Well, yeah, it's a shipwreck, but a barge. Actually not. That's what it looks like on the uh, hummingbird in relatively shallow water. So after making another pass, the student summer employees Buck and Levi lowered the text. Towfish side scan sonar off the back of the small research boat, slowly just off Prince Point at the west end of campus. A piece of sunken history appeared on the sonar monitor. I wasn't expecting to see anything, uh, Buck said. On the computer, it came up on the screen, and we weren't sure what it was. We went back to the monitor, realized it was very big, about 15 meters by 5 meters. So that's a pretty good size. Yeah, 15 by 45. It appeared to be a previously undiscovered shipwreck, a wooden barge about 60 feet long. Now, this is right near the campus? Well, I'm hoping. That's got to be out in Lake Michigan. No, aren't they in Superior? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just trying to look at that. Yeah, uh, Michigan Tech... Uh, is up there in the UP. They're in Lake Superior. I mean, it's po- they they probably have spots all over. I didn't realize Lake Superior had milfoil in it. Well, that's kind of surprising, really. That's why I was curious, what body of water are we talking? I'm surprised they don't mention the body of water. Yeah, they said it started as an unusual funny shape, said Anderson. They're able to get all kinds of details about the barge, all without sending down a diver. They said it's absolutely flat across the top. It has a square man's hatch up in front. It's not connected to the main storage bins. It was built out of wooden beams, more than a foot across, he added, and joined in the corners like a log cabin. You probably could dump the thing out and float it. Actually, finding lost wrecks is nothing new for tech boat crews. The Portage Waterway is littered with wrecks. From Civil War vessels sunk just off the tech's facility buildings to a 100-foot sea fox that is in the northern side of the canal, once owned by a commodore of the yacht club. Canal. It said canal. Yeah. So that sounds like inland waters, because I don't remember milfoil being in, you know, the big lakes himself. That's interesting. And I tried to find a little more on that real quick, and I was not having... Well, it said, Prince Point off of west end of campus. I'll have to figure that out, because that, that's quite interesting. And they're saying they had Civil War vessels also. I find that interesting. Yeah, I'm trying to... I'm trying to do a search, and all I'm finding is off-campus housing. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Is there anything good? Hmm. Well, I'm not getting a darn thing. Um, so I'm pulling up a campus map for Michigan Tech. 
and they've got a, if you didn't know better, this kind of looks like, you know how Andrews University is along the yeah. St. Joe? Mm-hmm. This looks exactly like it. Really? Except for, yeah, the same bend and shape, but they're a lot closer to Lake Superior than we are to Lake Michigan. Okay. So probably more like the island in St. Joe distance. Yeah, that makes more sense. So you've got a river, but, and then that point there, I'm assuming then there's like a little flooded lake. Is that a dam maybe? Let's see. No, that's a bridge. Here, let me send you a link to this. You can play along. Coming up slowly, but we'll get there eventually. Oh, okay. You back out far enough and it kind of makes sense. Well, my map is not showing anything. I don't know why. It's blank. Well, it can't be blank. It is. Honest. <laughs> I wouldn't fib you. Well, if you, if you remember the UP. Okay, if, got it. She's loading. Yeah. Yeah, Google is just fighting because that's what they're embedding in their map. But if you picture the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, there's that little spot that comes up out of the UP, out in the Lake Superior, and yep. they're about smack dab in the middle of that yep. outcrop. And, and that's why they got the milfoil because they're talking about the interconnecting waterway. Yeah, yeah, because you've got it connects all over. So well, it's I'm almost very like, curious now, though, when they said Civil War vessels and littered with wrecks. Well, you figure that that was a good spot uh, because Lake Superior, you're up there too late, you're done. Once it freezes, it's over. So yeah. I'm imagining that you've got vessels that took shelter from storms, got stuck in the river, and then, you know, got crushed in the ice. Well, you know, how did they have access? Civil War time? You know, they said well, Civil War vessels. So I'm curious. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's the north. I don't picture the south doing a, a run up to Lake Superior. Well, they did, you know, in Lake Erie. Yeah, Lake Erie, there was a couple attempts. Yes, there were. There were some battles there. All right, but that answers our question of uh, why milfoil. Yeah, because at, at first when you're thinking Lake Superior is not my idea of a milfoil location. Absolutely. Well, that's well, interesting, though. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News this week. And we did have, call it a letter, somebody uh, used the contact form, which is perfectly valid, went to scubaobsessed.com. And left us a message. They had been listening, and this was Ted. He says, in your last podcast episode, you are talking about diving in northwest Montana. I wanted to give you my experience. My daughter and her family live in uh, Cali Spell, and I made a visit there in late May. I wanted to dive while I was there, so I contacted a local dive shop to find a dive buddy. My first contact was in February. They assured me they would find someone to dive with me. I contacted them again in April just to remind them. I sent them reminder emails to which they never replied. I left requests on their Facebook page, also never replied to. I called again two weeks before my trip and was told they would help me. I called on the day of my arrival in uh, Cali Spell. They told me uh, that they would call me back with more info. They never called. I called again and was told they would call me back. They never did. I finally went to the shop for a face-to-face request and was told no one wanted to dive. My best guess is that they blew me off and maybe asked one or two people if that. I don't believe they put much effort into helping me. I took the Patty dry suit course just for the trip, rented a suit, paid extra baggage fees only to be blown off by the dive shop. End result, I spent a lot of money and time to dive northwest Montana, only come away with no dive. In contrast, I made a stop in Boise, Idaho. Same scenario, same result. Then on my last day there, I found a different dive shop and called them. They couldn't find me a buddy, so the owner closed his shop early and went with me. I got one dive in thanks to a dedicated shop owner who wanted to help me out. He also 
waive the tank and weight rental fee. By the way, I also used the Dive Buddy website, but also found no willing buddies. I have since notified my hometown local shop to keep my phone number handy should anyone contact them looking for a Dive Buddy. I don't want the same thing that happened to me in northwest Montana to happen in my own town. Now, that's the way to go. That, yeah. That's, that's All the divers should be that way. Yeah. And I, I know that, I mean, the advantage we got now is we've got spies in the dive shop uh, at Wolf's. But we've had up there, there's the whiteboard. And Bob Sweeney, who's got a boat, has his name if you want to dive. And if you got a hold of Bob and he wasn't going, he'd put you in contact with one of us and it would happen. Well, yeah, we got enough groups on here doing Wednesday nights. Yep. At least three to choose from. <laughs> yes, you can have your and, choice. And on the weekend, you got either the SAS group or us. So you can get wet. You may have to drive 60 miles, but you will definitely get wet. And there are a lot of divers who have come since we did the show and dove with us. We've taken them on rivers. We've taken them on the Great Lakes. I mean, we're not we're not a charter company, but we can find you a dive buddy. But that's a good idea, I think. Everybody should do that, and uh, it gives me an idea of something for the website. Maybe we'll go and, and do that, Well, have, have our scuba-obsessed ambassadors. Well, on our club site, though, at least we have pictures of where to go. And around here, you can dive solo, you know. Yeah. And if you went out to 16 on a weekend, the chance of finding a buddy is probably about 95%. Oh, I would certainly say so. I don't know, other than the winter, and even then I've bumped into divers. I can't think of a time at Lake 16 you haven't at least bumped into another diver. So if you got up there, if you wanted to make sure that you definitely found it, and we're not talking, you know, lightning storms and terrible weather, but if you got there at Lake 16, within two to three hours, I guarantee there'd be somebody there. Uh, oh, yeah. And the same thing at uh, Gull Lake. Gull Lake, I mean, now it might be a dive instructor with his students, but there's going to be somebody there at Gull Lake to go diving with. But I like the idea. I like what he did. He, he he contacted the shop and said, hey, hey, do that. So that'd probably be one of the first things. And if I was a dive shop owner, I think I wouldn't make that as an incentive. And didn't, no. didn't Wolfs or somebody do that before where if you were going out and willing to take other divers with you, they would give you a free air fill? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, and I still think that's pretty much standard. Yeah. And that makes sense because you're going to encourage people. We, you know, we got to build this network up. And then as these dive shops, I mean, unfortunately, they seem to be closing. I bet we're losing more dive shops than are opening. Yeah. I, after reading last week, though, you know, for the Northwest Montana, I would love to have gone there. And if I was looking for a, you know, a partner, I'd have been extremely disappointed to go to a dive shop and I couldn't find somebody. Yeah. Well, and then uh, Tubay didn't mention the name of the dive shop who uh, shut down because they, they deserve kudos right there. You know, if you're if you're you an owner mean of a shop, the one who went with him, yes. yeah, the one who went there, the, yeah, that's what I meant. He 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 shut down the shop early just so he could take them and, like you said, wave the tank and the weight fee. And that's yeah. probably if you're going to compare, that's probably a dive shop owner who really enjoys scuba diving. Yeah, and that's what we all you know fantasize about. If you own a dive shop, is you're doing a lot of diving, going to get in the oh. water. Well, with newbies and stuff, I enjoy like taking them out to sixteen. Yeah. I mean, you got all the stuff, and people normally don't see stages and and boats and skeletons and cars. Yeah. It's something to look at, and it's free. And then you go to sixteen or uh, Gull Lake, the same thing, and two different sites. Well, I can remember when, watching them enjoy themselves. When when Jim Cleman and I first got in a dive club, we had just about everybody in the club calling us whenever they went out. Said, "Have you been here? You got to try it." So we spent that first year 
going on boats, going to lakes, just finding new spots that were probably old hat for everybody else. But they're brand new dive sites to us. I mean, who else could you get excited about Singer Lake? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you get jaded after a while. I don't think you guys have been there since we did ice dives. uh... Uh, Jim Jim and I have probably done a total of three or four dives there. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going back now that I got a dry suit. Yeah, I think Ted went out there a couple of weeks ago because he had to get wet. You know, it's like, I got to get wet. Yeah, I got to drop in. And-, yeah. and and once you get past that muck part, remember how your legs go up to your or the muck is oh, up yeah. to your knees until you get out of the boat launch area? Once you get past that, it's not too bad. Yeah, the visibility is sort of sucky, but uh, yeah, at least you got fish and things like that to look at. Well, when we found stuff, we found bottles. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's well, things under the ice. Yeah. So that that's that's a good point. So th- thank you for the email, Ted, and hopefully get a little bit better luck next time you go up and visit. And if you come down this way, we'll make sure you got to dive. Yeah. Yeah. Make it back to the Great Lakes. We'll, we'll get you in the water. Um, and I'd like to let everybody know we do have the new Scuba Obsessed website is live. I'm still doing some just cleanup and maintenance uh, mostly what it is is uh, fixing links because when we republish the site, the links changed and we have to do some redirects to make sure that all our old traffic still goes there. So a lot of geeky behind-the-scenes stuff going on. But we are posting articles. I'm going back through and uh, adding in the ones that we missed. And then we'll be adding some new content real shortly. Uh, how you can listen to us, which somehow you're listening to us now, but we are on iTunes, so you can subscribe there. We're also on WRVO Radio, Reno Viola's network, and you can get there at it's WRVORadio.com or www.RenoViolaOutdoors.com. You can also download their app. And if you like outdoor podcasts, hunting, camping, fishing, you will want to download the app. And you can also visit the website. If you go to one of those websites, there's also an online player. If you're at work and you just want to hear what's going on. And last week I said, my my brain sometimes says the wrong things. I'm thinking the right things, saying the wrong. Well, we are occasionally on Thursday. It's Friday is the day that they seem to stream. And that changes, so you'll want to check their website if you listen to us that way. Also, Stitcher Smart Radio is another way to hear us. Mud Club is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. And you can see what the muddies are doing. And I think we're to that time of the show where we get to talk about last week's dives. And we, I think we broke probably one of the longest dry streaks for not being on Lake Michigan. When when was probably the last dive in Lake Michigan? It was probably September. Mm-hmm. So what, nine months? I mean, that sounds like, like northern Alaska time frame, not Lake Michigan. I, I cannot believe we did not hit it in April. No, it, it, yeah, like we, said, it's the longest I think in the last twenty years that we have not been out there. Yeah, and it's just been a, we did. It's been a combination. I mean, there are other divers that have been able to get out there. I'm sure, just not the mud clubs. When you go through the the list of all our members and people getting out, we just could not finagle a day. And we were diving. I mean, we had Lake 16. We get blown off the big lake. Uh, we made it to the end of the pier, but four different times. Well, I, I'm going to have to. We're going to have to back up just a little bit. I think that's counting all the muddies. Kevin was out, so he had hit other wrecks before we did this year. Um, but he was he did he get out in Lake Michigan? I know he was doing maybe some shore dives. And he was doing, Haven. yeah, he was doing shore dives and the shallow water wrecks up north. Yeah, but did he? But I guess the shore. Did he bring his boat out? I don't know. Yeah, it's possible, but still, you know, did but not get on the Havana. 
Yeah, I mean, we 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 usually have Havana in Muskegon the early the early wrecks of the season. We usually do those. We didn't yeah. get any of any of those in. You know, Rockaway. By this time, we've already we're, we're this is about the Ann Arbor time, mid July. Yes, we're on the Ann Arbor right. five. Yeah. Well, so we just so we, we got out. Uh, we had two boats go out. Uh, Jim was unable to make it, so we had Bob took his uh, rib. Rigid hull inflatable out, and we had uh, a diver I hadn't dove with before. Gary, Gary brought his his boat out. Had a nice aluma weld boat. I would say about eighteen feet long. It, it was a nice one. I, I like it. The only the only thing is uh, I heard it was a kind of a rough ride because it has the for, the a forward cockpit. But I, I like the design of it. I, that'd be a nice dive boat. He's had he said he's had about three years. Had a pretty decent engine on it. Uh, had an extension. If you remember how Captain Tom in North Carolina had an extension off the back, yeah, that's a little bit like what his his boat had. He had a semi bimini, didn't he? Top. Yeah, he had. A, it looked like a hard, like a frame, like an aluminum frame with a bimini top on it, which was perfect. It was high, so you could walk around. And you didn't have to stoop. Uh, he had benches. He said they were originally made for his pontoon boat, and uh, that he had moved them over into this boat. So he. I'd say you could probably put it'd be a good if you're going to do a six pack it'd be a perfect boat because I bet you could have eight divers on there. Really? Yeah, it is very open design, and they had three, and they they weren't tripping over each other at all. So we we grouped up at the DNR boat launch, headed on out. Uh, we knew that his boat was going to be a little quicker, <laughs> so they had to move some gears. So we got a head start, and we arrived on the Havana almost at the exact same time. So as Bob pulled up the numbers and dropped the anchor, they pulled up behind him and uh, we geared up. And uh, I think we were all dry suit diving, a hundred percent dry suit divers, which I think is another first, especially in July. It seems like even the dry suit guys have kind of broken out a wetsuit if they've got one by then. Uh, I didn't get surface temperature, but at the bottom it was 49 degrees came down. Uh, Viz was, was pretty decent. Viz was probably 15, at least 15 feet. Kirk called it 12, but it was more than 12. Uh, now, there were times it was less than 12. Very silty on the bottom, uh, but a lot of new boards uncovered. In fact, I've never seen so many boards uncovered under Havana, and I don't remember the wreck being so multi-layered. Both Kurt and I were talking about this. Like the center board, have you seen that exposed before in Havana? Yes. The center board was exposed at least three to four feet high. And Bob said there were parts of the wreck you could swim under. Yeah, I remember, the, you know, well, I've been diving it over 30 years out there. Yeah. But it sounds like it's going back to the way it was. I asked him if he had seen any chain because the anchor line is still on that wreck. I saw some chain, but I thought it was modern chain. But now thinking back on it, it could be old chain. But the uh, now the float off the center was gone, correct? The float was gone. There was a jug. But there wasn't much rope connected to the jug, so it was like me. What about the chain we had? Is it still there? Well, see, that was near the jug, so that's the chain I think I saw. Okay. But there was not a lot of it. It wasn't like there was, you know, 50, 100 feet. It looked like just enough chain so that you would tie off a line to the chain. All right. Yeah, because we were concerned that somebody may have cut the submerged buoy and taken the chain. But if you saw the chain, then that's then it's not a big deal. There was There was chain down there. <laughs> It could be anchor chain, but I, I think I saw the, the chain still down there at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in the middle, it's not the anchor chain. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was near the jug. There's a jug there that had, had sunk and collapsed. And when I say jug, it was uh, 
a little bit bigger than a bleach bottle. It wasn't a large one. But there's a lot of boards. And we, we went back and forth along the wreck. It's, it's, a, it's still a one-tank dive, and you see everything. Uh, the only life we saw in it was gobies, white gobies, spotted gobies, black gobies, but just gobies, gobies, gobies. And that would that kind of lowered the viz. You'd come up on them, and they'd get scared and swim away and kick stuff up. But it just seemed uh, to be a little bit siltier than normal. Or maybe we're just not as, as buoyant as we used to be. Because uh, even without touching the bottom, it, it seems like the vortex off the end of your fin can carry quite quite a ways. Uh, yeah, frog kick does come in handy. Yep. I, I would alternate between the two. Sometimes Kurt, I only lost Kurt once where he got way ahead of me and I, I was able to catch back up to him. Um, didn't see any lures in the wreck this year, which is kind of unusual. Did find the golf ball. So they did count an official dive. I found one, and Bob said he found two, but he didn't pick them up. I brought mine up just to prove it. Is the bowling ball still on it? I didn't see a bowling ball. Yeah, didn't see a bowling ball. Uh, but like, there's a lot of boards, a lot of boards without uh, muscles on them. So I and just Bob think it, said he did see uh, a couple of dead eyes he had not seen before. Yes, yes, a good point. There was one dead eye that's about even with the bottom. So if you're on the wreck, you'll have to look around. You know, I'm kind of turned around, but it's, it's it's where you would expect to see dead eyes. But it was low on the wreck and in really nice condition. And there's another one that's in that uh, cable pile that's now more exposed. See, I didn't see the cable pile this time, so I must have missed that end of the wreck. Yeah. Yeah, Bob, put, Bob was down for quite a bit. I would say he was down for, oh, a good hour plus. And then he was going to come down again with another set of divers that were coming down. Gary was going to come down and um, Dan was also there but uh, as he went down he was his, he was having problems equalizing his ear so he called it but i was starting to get cold i was in the dry suit uh yeah my my undergarments that's probably my next thing to upgrade oh and, and i had a new pair of dive gloves and i pulled the zipper off it that that's always fun <laughs> a new pair and you pull the zipper off yeah to catch yeah it just well because it's it's zippered and then because i want something easier to get on i'm just that's half you know I, i'm trying to remove stuff that prevents my enjoyment of diving and fighting with dive gloves is something i do not enjoy i don't enjoy being cold and i don't enjoy fighting with gloves because that gets my heart rate up you, you, you struggle you're, you're, you whether you do it or not you always kind of feel that you have to keep up with everybody else so we can go down together but i got the left glove on fine and then i had the right glove on and i was trying to pull the zipper and it just it, i didn't think i was pulling that hard and it just came apart but it wasn't an expensive pair of gloves. I'll spare the manufacturer the humiliation of me calling them out so far. Maybe I'll change my mind. But um, let's see. I'm trying to think of what else there was on the uh, beautiful day in the lake. It was uh, about one to one and a half foot waves coming out. You know, with the occasional roller. You know, you get the, the one roller about every five or six waves, and there'll be one that's got a big trough underneath it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But when we came up after the dive, it was it was flat, you know three to six inches maybe and that's mostly i think from other boats yeah and then i didn't i only had one biting fly which he didn't make it i, I killed him well there is no fly zone out there yeah no fly zone yeah so bob's boat was running good good gary's boat's running good uh, we took them to the intakes but we didn't stay with them bob kurt and i headed back in but we got them to the intakes 
Oh, when we were taking the boat out of the water, we did hear something. The uh, my my contacts in the DNR said, "Gosh, we could have used you about twenty minutes ago." I said, "Well, why? What happened?" He said, "Oh, somebody lost their boat trailer. <laughs> they, I guess they <laughs> were back in the boat trailer in the water to retrieve the boat, and the trailer came off the ball and rolled down the ramp into the water." <laughs> And I'm like, is it still in there? We got our gear. He's like, well, they left. I don't see the boat here. I imagine it must be okay. So we didn't go in, but that would, uh, that's one of those, it'd be a nice little video. I was going to say, yeah, that's when you want somebody to have a video and not yours. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't need to recreate that with my own boat ramp yeah. or trailer, but a beautiful day. You know, we've just had beautiful weekends. Um, wasn't, wasn't super hot. So, you know, maybe the grumbling we're doing about it being cold now gets made up by that so we broke the streak at least for going out of st joe and getting into lake michigan now there's talk about i think they said rockaway this weekend that's what i heard i, I don't think he's got too many with the with the holiday weekend there's so many family activities it's hard yeah. to uh sometime you know it's going to be a spur of the moment last moment by the way i'm going out who want to go yeah that would be about the only way i could do it I could, you know, my wife was asking, you're going to dive and, you know, I could do it, but I've been, you know, this is, this will be, my, that would have been my third weekend away doing that. So I need to not this weekend do some family stuff. I've got some home repairs that I need to do, replace a screen door and seal some cracks and fix a barn and probably bum around. I'm off tomorrow. So a three day weekend. Woo-hoo. Yeah. So for those of you in other countries, we, we have a holiday that's named the 4th of July, which you know, you get the 3rd of July, the 5th of July. This is the 4th. So I guess other countries have the 4th of July, too. They just don't get it off. Or they just have a variation. France, you got Bastille Day. Yeah, France has Bastille Day. And then Canada has, was there a holiday on July 1st? Uh, there was one called Canada Day. Canada Day, yeah. See, they had to upstage us, put it right before 4th of July. <laughs> At least it's in the right time of the year. It's better than, you know, it's better than being like, you know, say February eighteenth, which we call President's Day, wouldn't we, or the, or thereby? Yeah, I respond when my my wife tells me it is. Yeah, whatever holiday it is. I was younger and I didn't have to uh, go to school. Then I remember that, or I don't have to go to work. Other than that, I don't remember them. Well, my wife, who works in the government field, it seems like she's always off on a Monday. I'm like, what? Okay, what holiday is it now? Yeah, thought you had to be a banker for that. I don't know. I, I'm going to say that government workers probably have more holidays than bankers. Now, did you get any diving in? Well, I had uh, diving on Wednesday. That was SAS over at Gull Lake, and they had a underwater watermelon watermelon carving contest. And uh, I may put some pictures on the site, but some of those guys are good. I mean, one guy, and this is underwater, not on the surface. He did a Batman, and it looks good. Now, do they do they clean them out on the surface, or they have to do everything down in the blow? Underwater. Okay. And some of the some of the items that they did, these guys have obviously practiced. Uh, they probably had thirty divers there. I wow. think about twenty of them participated in that one particular activity. I know that uh, Richard went out back to the uh, platform and was practicing shooting his bag. Now you uh, said that they were who doing. Who don't know what that is? That's taking your your safety sausage and practicing deploying it, especially if you're using a finger reel. So if you ever need to do it, you've done it before, and it's a real good thing. Is if you've never practiced with your safety sausage, get out there and give it a shot. And if you've never used a finger reel without the reel mechanism, you really want to do that 
before you have an emergency. <laughs> yeah. So so one one case of where it's nice to have a safety sausage is say you're on a wreck and everybody came down the bow line and then you get to the back of the, the wreck and you either lose your way to where you can't find up front or you're to a point in the dive where you don't have enough air that you want a chance at the, to travel back up to the wreck. So you would deploy the sausage with your finger reel and then that gives you a, a nice uh, measured distance to know where you're at in the water, water column. Gives you a positive contact that with a little resistance, you can tell if you're going too fast or if you're heavy. Yeah, because you can do a free ascent, which is that's another good one to actually practice on on certain days. I've had I've done a free ascent a couple times where the conditions are so bad that there was uh, that was the only way to go up, and that was a good. We I did that one with another diver, and I, I pat myself on the back. I think we did pretty textbook when we did it. But yeah, the finger sausage is finger sausage. Now I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> the, the finger reel and the safety sausage. So you you float it up and. Now, do you mark yours? Does does your finger reel have marks every so often? No, I do not. On mine, mine is designed that if I need it down to 100 feet, I let it spool up because I don't put a lot of air in it. Once I get a positive touch on it, then I that's what I use to come up the line, and then I just re-reel it as I come up. Yeah. Now I, I, like, I like the big ones. So if you're going to get one, I, oh, yeah. you really want to get a big one, just like the Dan ones. And that way you've got a reflector mechanism on it. You have a pouch. You can put a... Um, Chem light in it for visibility. Uh, it also has a pocket on it that you have a mirror, and you can also use a CD disc if you didn't want to spend the money for the mirror. The second other item, and, and you were talking about what you need it for, if you're doing a drift dive <clears throat> or if you're doing a boat dive and they're doing a drift, it's a lot easier to see if you got a six foot sausage sticking up there in the air when the waves are up. Yeah. And whatever height the sausage is, you lose at least a foot, if not more, to keep it upright because you got to sink that end of that sausage in the water so that its buoyancy points up otherwise it just flops over and nobody's going to see it right uh, the the better ones the quality ones do have the relief valves on it inflation valves on it and the open pocket at the bottom is in my opinion not the way to go you want one that's enclosed so you don't have that limp aspect of it that you've got two-thirds of it in the water to get the one-third sufficiently inflated to keep it up. Now, when you say without the pocket, because I've seen some of them where they're, they're kind of almost a combination lift bag safety sausage. So you've got it where it's got the scoop, but it's still open in the bottom. Well, I, I looked at the new ones. Uh, matter of fact, they had a couple we were looking at this afternoon, and it's almost like a V shape on the bottom for the ones they've got now that's a lift bag combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's got a relief valve built into it, and it'll hold up the four quarts of air, now, which is nice buoyancy. So that's like a one-way valve then? No, you also have a relief valve on it that if you if you inflate it and it's going up and over-inflates, it'll oh, okay. dump. Okay. Plus the manual valve on it. But uh, if, if you don't have one and you buy one, get a quality one. Don't get one of these six-footers that just fold up. I mean, they, they're better than nothing, but don't take your life on it. Yeah. And then that was uh, Wednesday. That was a good dive. And uh, I was out today doing a recovery dive over at Jarvis Lake. Okay. And uh, didn't have to go deep. You'd be out there. I bet it was 65 degrees water. Oh, wow. Until you hit the uh, thermocline. The current of water coming up from the little springs. Then it got a little chilly really quick. Ah. Now, on Saturday, it seemed that we had uh, uh, sky-based observations that were going on. 
Or that I heard you had some aerial support, is what you mean? Yeah, aerial support. Yeah, I think that was the only picture I seen of the place. I hadn't seen any 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 pictures from anybody else yet. So when that gets updated on the club site, it'll be two little boats on a big big lake. <laughs> it is a, it is a big lake. So this weekend on the Fourth of July, there's going to be the Rockaway. The only problem is you got fly-ins this weekend everywhere, both yeah. on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of. Well, we'll we'll see. Hopefully, those who can dive can make it out. But it is with a holiday weekend. That, that's what you got to do. You got to start looking. Look at your calendar for the summer. You, so say you can't dive in the fourth. Then it probably also means the Labor Day weekend is out, unless you're going to do a special trip. There's not a lot of weekends left. No, you got Oshkosh coming up, and that's going to be a whole week plus the weekend. Yeah, I've got scout camp, so. Uh, we'll be doing a show next Thursday, but the following Thursday will be an off week for us. So it'll be one of our rare, at least recently missed weeks. Oh, so we're not going to be on the air next on the ninth. I'm not trying to do the math. That's yeah, the we'll, we'll be we'll be on the ninth. We won't be the following week. The sixteenth. Okay, I'm 16th. crossing that off. Yep, sixteenth. We we won't be, but the ninth. Uh, we will be. Right. I, I as we talk about the ninth, I may be a little late getting in. Okay. Uh, there's a presentation at the airport for experimental aircraft, and uh, I may go to that one. It gets over by 9, so I, I'll be home as we normally start. Okay. Yep. We'll be doing that. Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, if you're not out there diving, people, I don't know what your excuse is. <laughs> and if you're up here and you want to go diving, hey, check Wolf's Marine, and they can get a hold of somebody. If not, check the club site. Send us an email. Uh, I got a guy coming in from Chicago, wants to dive Pawpaw Lake because that's where his boat is. And uh, if he gives me a call, we're going to be diving. Excellent. And if he has a boat and he wants to go on the big lake, we're going to do the Havana and the uh, tunnels. Oh, good. Another good set. Yeah. And that, now next up, I think, on our list is we'll have a rockaway. And with all that sand being moved off the Havana, it makes me wonder what Max Rec looks like. Oh, I'll tell you what. That's, that's got to be something we need to get out there and look at. Yeah, we got to look at that. Then also we have to determine and do some mowing the lawn. That's just not happening this year, is it? It doesn't, doesn't seem to be. No. I know Jim is trying to do, He's he's been trying to talk people on the Thirsty Thursdays, uh, but I don't know if he's had any, any takers because he says, you know, Sass has the Wednesday nights. He was trying to get something started for Thursdays. Yeah, because Hard City has Wednesday night. Yeah. Let's see, what's Tuesday? Anybody got anything Tuesday? So you got Tuesday, Thursday. Huh. Nice thing about Thursday is you want to make a long weekend of it. You can always ditch work Thursday afternoon, take a Friday off, and you've got a nice <laughs> nice dive weekend. Yeah, and the boss is pissed. You can probably dive the next week, too. Yeah, if you if you, if you do it right, you got unlimited amount of time. Or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that puts us to that time of the show. All right. So let's see here. God, this is they got this one from Rod. It just been I've been staring at it. Yeah, I may have to edit it out, but we'll 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 go ahead and and do this one. Are you saying this is a little raw or something? Uh, no, it's not. It yeah, you'll see. Okay. <laughs> little Johnny sees his daddy's car passing the school playground and going into the woods. Curiously followed the car and saw Daddy and Aunt Jane in a passionate embrace. <laughs> Little Johnny found this so exciting that he could hardly contain himself as he ran home and started to tell his mother. 
Mommy, I was at the playground. I saw Daddy's car go in the woods with Aunt Jane. I went back to look, and he was giving Aunt Jane a big kiss, and then he helped her take off her skirt. Then Aunt Jane helped Daddy take his pants off. And then Aunt Jane, at this point, Mommy cut him off, said, Johnny, that's such an interesting story. Let's save the rest of it for supper time. I want to see the look on your daddy's face when you tell him tonight. At dinner that evening, Mommy asked little Johnny to tell a story. Johnny started a story. I was at the playground, and I saw Daddy's car go in the woods with Aunt Jane. I went back to look, and he was giving Aunt Jane a big kiss, and then he helped her off the skirt. Then Aunt Jane helped Daddy take his pants off. Then Aunt Jane and Daddy started doing the same thing that Mommy and Uncle Bill used to do when Daddy was away at work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So now that kind of makes a little sense. <laughs> yeah, she might she might have wanted to let him talk a little earlier, huh? Yeah, yeah, not not quite the ending to the story. I think she was counting on. Yeah. So on that note, go out there and get wet and stay safe. Sure, getting the fireworks oh, around the here has been completed. Oh, you got fireworks going? Oh, yeah, I hear booms and bangs. And little Johnny sees his daddy car, his daddy's car passing the school playground. Well, let me start that over. Little Johnny sees his daddy car. Goodness, <laughs> here, let me I take a drink here. Okay, here we go. Maybe it shouldn't be little Johnny. <laughs>